Well, Kay and I have really enjoyed um, being with you. Um, we felt right at home the moment we arrived. We've been coming to this church or in, in its different incarnations, um, I don't know, since I was 10, I think. So it's been a long time. And I really like the black country humour. I really enjoy that. Am I right in saying in the black country, if you like people, you're quite rude to them? Is that, is that right? And um, we, we showed up here yesterday for the breakfast. There's a lovely guy out there in an orange tabard thing, you know, helping with the parking. And I wound down my window. Actually, I pressed a button. Anyone remember the days when you used to wind down the window? Young people, there was a day when we had to wind them down. And uh, this lovely guy, he said, uh, he's a morning Jeff, he said, I didn't want to come today, but they, I had to come. They shoved me out here to help with the parking. <laughs> that was his opening shot, and I immediately felt right at home, because now I'm telling myself that if you like people, you're rude to them. It might just be that you don't like me, I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, it was just lovely. I'm, when I go to Ireland, they're really like that. You know, the more they like you, the more they're rude to you, and they really like me there. So anyway, just um, been great to be with you. There are books, as Leon very kindly mentioned, there are books out there, and all I need to say is just buy them. Do not resist, do not struggle, do not stay in the valley of indecision. Buy them. Um, if you want to walk on water, consider staying in the boat, and other things I wish I'd um, known is the, is the latest book. Things I wish I'd known 40-something years ago when I became a Christian. That's out there. Uh, this book I mentioned yesterday, and if you've heard me do this little book plug a number of times, please forgive me, but um, there are no strong people based on the story of uh, Samson. Quite a lot of blunt talk in there, so if you're offended by that, don't buy the book, but if you don't mind that, buy the book. That's out there. And then uh, All Questions Great and Small, Adrian Plass, another Christian writer, and I did a tour of improv together where we... We came out, we sat on two stools, we knew our opening story, but we didn't know what else would happen. We just went with it. It was terrifying. And in the second half of the show, people just texted in questions that they wanted us to answer. So a lot of those are in there. And then this book, finally, Creating a Prodigal-Friendly Church, a lot of the Timberline story in there, as well as uh, some teaching about the most stunning press release that Jesus ever gave in Luke 15, what we know as the parable of the prodigal son. So they're out there. There's a special deal. If you buy any three, you get Lucas on Life free, which is amazing. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I am too. I can't believe it myself. And um, you get that free book and we can take checks, credit cards, chickens, anything you got. So those are available. Finally, before I get on with it and start actually speaking, Leon, Alison, thank you for your kindness. And you're welcome. Just been a joy, not only to be with the church. They're nice, aren't they? Um, but also with you as well. So thank you so much. We're thinking this morning about the supernatural. And I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Let me read these words again. I spoke from this passage last night, talking about the life of the brand new early church following the day of Pentecost. Here's what it says. Then... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I am standing here today because of the supernatural intervention of a God who is alive and active working in my life. I mentioned yesterday to those of you 
uh, that were there, didn't come from a Christian home at all, went to Sunday school three times and got chucked out for bad behavior, Um, no Christian background, and um, my attention was arrested um, by my being healed. Uh, I thought all Christians were mad. My RE teacher at school used to tell me about Jesus. I thought she was mad. Um, But I developed a a very, very minor health problem, which is slightly embarrassing. It's Verrucas, which is not a big deal, is it? You can't write a book about being healed of Verrucas. Victorious over Verrucas. Shortly to be made into an epic movie. It's never going to happen. I had about 20 Verrucas, and I was about to go into the hospital for a day procedure to get them removed. And I thought, well, I've heard about God, so I'll pray about it. And, and I'm allergic to pain, so I thought, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll try that. So I prayed this kind of to whom it may concern sort of prayer, to the one great beyond, the one who is beyond the ceiling, something like that. And I said, oh God, if you're up there, please do something about my Verrucas. Amen. Nothing immediately happened. An angel did not stand beside my bed saying, lo, I have taken away thine footwarts. Nothing immediately happened, but I woke up the next morning and they'd all gone overnight, disappeared, freaked me out. I thought someone nicked my verrucas. <laughs> so I phoned my RE teacher up, that's it's Sunday morning, and I phoned her up and I said, uh, she's also an Elim pastor's wife, and uh, I, I said, someone stole my verrucas. And she said, well, why don't you come to church tonight? And I, I went along to this baptismal service, seemed like an aquatic mugging, seemed very strange. And um, uh, I became a Christian um, that night. My attention was turned to God by this minor, I suppose, healing. And now I've been a Christian for three weeks. And I'm beginning to feel and think this crazy thought. I'm thinking, maybe I should become a Christian leader, which is completely ridiculous. I'm a brand new Christian. I do not know the difference between the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the maps at the back. I haven't got a clue. No idea. But I'm feeling this kind of stirring that I should do this. So we go off for this youth weekend. And back then, it was a bit of a survival course. You know, you went, you went to these Christian conference centers with waitresses who got chucked out of the Gestapo for being too rough. And, and, and you ate food that was just indescribable and indeed unrecognizable for human consumption. And you pretended that you enjoyed it. That was really part of the thing. And we had a guest speaker um, come in. His name was John Barr. He was an Eden minister. He didn't know any of us. Didn't know any of us. And he stood up on the opening night, the Friday night, and he said, God has spoken to me on the way here to this conference this weekend and has told me that there are three of you here that he has called into full-time Christian leadership. And I thought, that's interesting. I remember looking around the room thinking, I wonder who it is. It's probably that bloke who's sitting on the front row who had his hands raised during the announcements. He's that keen. It's interesting, isn't it, that we tend to count ourselves in if there's a word of judgment and out if there's a word of blessing. Something about the human psyche there. I remember thinking, I wonder who it is. And then Johnny Barr said, oh, by the way, God told me your first and last names. And I'm thinking, that is really freaky, Jason. That is strange. He said, I'll be chatting with you over the weekend. This will be confirmation. On the Saturday night, 
All I can say is I had this experience of God, this heaviness, this sense of power came upon me. And Johnny Bard, the speaker, stands up and describes exactly what's happening to me. I'm thinking, this is really getting weirder and weirder. And I had a question about that. So at the end of the meeting, I went up to him. I did not introduce myself. I've got long hair down here. Can you imagine that? There was a day in history when I did not have this shrinking peninsula that looks like Florida. I had long hair. And I went up to him. I didn't introduce myself. I asked him a question about the Holy Spirit and about the supernatural. And he answered the question and I said, thank you very much, sir. I'm a bit nervous. And I turned to walk away and he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, young man, your name is Jeff Lucas, isn't it? And at that moment, I wasn't sure. And I said, yeah. He said, God has called you to preach, son, hasn't he? I said, I think so. He said, well, get on with it. Amazing prophet, terrible pastor. (laughs) Actually, he was a fabulous pastor. I went to my room and I cried myself to sleep that night because God knew my name. I didn't mention this in the first service, but a few weeks after that, I went to an Elim conference and that John Barr was there. I saw him walking down the street and I ran up to him and I I said, I said, hello, Mr. Barr. Do you remember me, Jeff Lucas? We met a few weeks ago. I've been looking for you and I'll never forget it. He turned around and he said, no, son, no, no, no. I've been looking for you. Right there in the street, he put his hand on my head. And he prayed. You see, my life was completely changed by that supernatural intervention. Now, some of you are looking at me right now. I can see it in your eyes. You're going, whoa. I wish that would happen to me. Something like that. I could use one of those. I don't think God did that because of my great faith. I think he did that because of my lack of faith. He knows that I become an atheist on the M25 during traffic jams. I think God probably said to a few junior angels, look, he's a bit thick. So let's really shout at him. So when he is atheistic on the M25, he'll never, ever be able to forget the day when I broke into his life. I don't think it was a response to faith, but rather my own folly. But what did happen is that God broke in by his spirit with the supernatural. On the day of Pentecost, when those 3,000 people became Christians, it's amazing. And not only do they experience supernatural intervention as the Holy Spirit comes, but they also have a sense of deja vu. The term deja vu is a French term, and it means already seen, I've been here before, or a feeling of recollection. The term déjà vu is a French term, and it means literally, already seen, I've been here. Déjà vu. How was it déjà vu? Well, you see, for the Jewish audience on the day of Pentecost, the most significant moment in their psyche, in their memory, was the Exodus event and Moses performing signs and wonders. And now as the apostles perform signs and wonders, as there's been the sound of mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire, this is a memory trip 
back to the Exodus moment. And I think they're starting to feel like, wow, this is another Exodus. The Exodus was about the people of God getting out of Egyptian slavery and being led into a new kingdom. And as that happened, there were miraculous signs and wonders performed by Moses. And Dr. Luke, as he writes this, he's using language that creates a sense of deja vu. Luke says they were all in one accord on the day of Pentecost. Language reminiscent to Exodus, where it says the people at Mount Sinai were all of one heart. And there was the sound of, there was a sound of wind and there was a fire And that echoes Exodus chapter 19. You see, this was more than a bit of holy magic to get a bit of attention. These people knew their history. And suddenly, I believe they're getting a sense that the church, the people of God, it's being birthed. God intervenes supernaturally. Are you like me? Sometimes important things slip your mind. Anyone here ever lose your keys? Anyone lose your keys on a daily basis? Raise your hand if that is true. Some of you are actually nudging each other quite hard right now. I lose my keys every day. It's part of my daily routine. Kay bought me one of those devices that you attach to your key ring. If you can't find your keys, you clap and the key beeps. And so I walk around the house like a rabid, charismatic Christian having endless times of worship, just trying to find my keys. And often, little things slip my mind. Does anyone else do this? You get up to go to a room, and then halfway through walking to the room, you forget why it is you want to go to the room. Yeah, yeah. And little things slip my mind. You know, like stuff like, I'm going to live forever, like that. Or like, God is a supernatural God, like that. So we're going to think about this for a few minutes. Let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to think about this for a few minutes and then we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to supernaturally intervene. And we're not going to do anything weird and I'm not going to change my voice or get spooky, but we are going to ask. So let's have a look at this. First of all, let's see first of all this first principle. God does do miracles God does miracles, it's a truth that has been eroded. God does miracles, it's a truth that's been eroded. I I just want to be painfully honest with you, if I may. I believe that God does miracles, I believe that he speaks. Obviously, I've shared a story about that. But over the years that I've been a Christian, I've just got to tell you, I haven't seen as much of the supernatural intervention of God as I'd like. Is it all right to be that honest around here? I believe that God heals. I've seen healing. But I haven't seen nearly as much as I thought I would see. And some of you are looking at me like, why would you say that when we're going to pray in a few minutes? That is not exactly faith-building language. Faith is not built by cheerleading. It's built by truth. And so I think we just need to be honest. God is, I mean, God speaks, but again, I want to be honest with you. He's not been as chatty as I thought he would be. I meet Christians, they have 47 revelations a day. And I'm not sure whether to be intimidated by them or encourage them to call the NHS helpline. He's not been as chatty 
as I thought. And then there's been a lot of silliness that has attached itself to the supernatural. And I think we just need to call it out and be honest about it. I mean, Kay will not, won't allow me to watch some Christian television in our house. Now, I'm not knocking all Christian telly, okay? There's some good ministries up there, and I'm on every week, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know. But seriously, there's some silly stuff. It's about time we said so. You know, this idea that if you send that bloke an offering, then you're more likely to be healed. You know, right now, in Jesus' name, call the toll-free number on the screen, and I will liberate you from the curse and break it from you in the name of Jesus. I might take this up, Leon. I think I'm a pretty good job at that. And Kay doesn't like me to watch this stuff because she doesn't like breakfast cereal dripping down the front of the TV. <laughs> one morning I was watching one of these blokes and he, you know, he was telling me that if I sent him some money and put it on my visa card, that God would do some stuff. Which frankly, some of that is like Catholic indulgences dressed up from medieval times. And I wondered, what did the early Christians do before the invention of visa? And I was sitting there eating my breakfast, eating my special K with semi-skim milk and raspberries. <laughs> Too much information. And it's getting madder and madder, this bloke on the TV. Right now, call the toll-free number, you know, in Jesus' name. And I'm getting more and more irritated. And then it was so strange. Because he stopped, and he? He looked right at me. Like he could see me. He said, God has put something in your hand that he wants you to send my way right now. <laughs> of course, the irritating thing is that some people do that. And here's the really irritating thing. Sometimes God actually heals them. I wish he wouldn't do that. By the way, his involvement does not imply his endorsement. See, this God that we serve is the God who comes running. And when people are hungry, often he will ignore the broken mechanism. And while not in any way endorsing the madness of the practice, he'll heal people just because he sees people hungry. But there's been a lot of silliness. And I've been to those meetings. I believe that God's power, the Holy Spirit, can empower people and... For some people who are not used to church, this might sound like strange language to you. I hope it's not too bewildering. But I've been to those services, you know, where you get prayed for and allegedly God's power comes upon you and you fall over. And I've experienced that for real. Can I be honest? I've also been to a few where some chap was praying for me and really wanted me to fall over and was giving me a good pushing. And I'm standing there, I'm like, no. I am not going. I plant my feet. I'm like Martin Luther. Here I stand. I can do no other. And after a while, you get a bit fed up with it. So you do a courtesy drop, you know, and you get a nap. He gets a result. Win-win. Everybody's happy. Some of you are saying, are you, are you mocking the work of the Holy Spirit? 
Don't know why I did that in a posh accent. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm just calling out the madness of humanity. What is it the Bible says? Because sometimes people say, don't ask questions about these things. You'll quench the spirit. No, no, no. We've got that the wrong way around. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the spirit. And then the next verse says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. So when asking questions, we're not quenching the spirit. We're creating an arena for the authentic work of the spirit. We need to say quickly before we move on as well, some people teach that these things don't happen anymore, that the original apostles of now, they're all dead and gone, so God doesn't do this. It's called cessationism, but there is not a shred of biblical evidence for that. The churches in Galatia, Philippi, Ephesus, encouraged to perform miracles. It wasn't just apostles who performed miracles, it was deacons also in the book of Acts. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preaching in 1965, says, the scriptures never anywhere say that these miracles of the New Testament were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. I love what John Piper says. He says, I want to have my keel deep and stable in the once-for-all biblical revelation of God, and I want to have my sails unfurled to every movement of God's Spirit upon the deep. We've got a lady in our Timberline family from a Muslim background, practicing Muslim, came from a Middle Eastern country, suffered huge abuse, violence and rape at the hands of her husband, became divorced, came to America to study and turned atheist, renounced all religion and faith because of her terrible bruised history, Muslim background. She had two dreams. Jesus appeared to her in those dreams. Mission Frontiers magazine recently interviewed 600 Muslim converts. 25% of them had had dreams that led to conversion. God's doing these things. And we baptized her privately, secretly. We cannot announce her name. We cannot even say where she's from. If she goes back to her country, she will be killed. And just last week, we announced to Timberline, without identifying her, that she has been granted asylum to live and work in America and has a brand new life because God supernaturally broke in. Secondly, we're invited to partner with the Lord. We're invited to partner with the Lord. Signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. Let me put it like this. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles pray, God, perform miracles, please. Perform signs and wonders. And then in Acts chapter 5, Dr. Luke tells us that the apostles perform miracles. They pray that God will do it. Then Luke says that they did it. That is a perfect picture of partnership, the partnership that God has called us all into. Partnership. It's only partnership that helps us to understand what prayer is. Does anybody... Does anybody else have these thoughts? What's the point of prayer? I mean, are you, is anyone like me? You struggle with prayer? Anyone else here fall asleep sometimes when you just raise, raise your hand? Anyone else here tell lies when you're asked awkward questions from the front? <laughs> I fall asleep when I pray. I drift. I start off well-meaning and then I think, what's on EastEnders? Then I start praying for the plot line of EastEnders. 
What is the point of prayer, we might ask ourselves? It's a good question. I mean, is God sitting there and we are praying for our hamster with rheumatism to be healed and, and we get on Facebook and we say, everyone pray for Hammy because he's in dire straits. And, and suddenly in heaven, the old prayerometer goes to 4,842. Excellent, but the magic number is 6,112. Sorry, Hammy. Time to go to that great spinning wheel in the sky. It doesn't work like that. Actually, I don't know how it works. Because it is not just unanswered prayer that creates questions. It's answered prayer that creates questions too. Because we say, why did God do that but not that? I don't understand the mystery of prayer, but I do understand the truth that God has called us to partner with him in his purposes. That's why we pray. Because of all the madness and the silliness that I've seen over the years, I've done a little bit of a pendulum swing with all this supernatural stuff. A couple of years ago, God reset the pendulum for me. Kay and I were in here in the UK, and we watched a TV series, a very popular TV series that I will not name, but it was, it was entertaining and funny and... And we watched this series. We, we then went back to America. And maybe three or four weeks after we watched the TV series, I had this really vivid dream. And the dream included the lead actor in the series announcing that a, a lady, a fellow actor who appeared in that, an older lady, that she had died. And he was sad and he was issuing a press conference expressing his sadness and grief. And I dreamed this dream. And then I woke up. Well, that's a bit odd. Went back to sleep, dreamed exactly the same dream again. Woke up again, woke up again. thought, that's a bit odd. So I went to sleep, dreamed exactly the same dream again. Once again, angels working overtime on Jeffrey the Thick One. <laughs> so I woke up again, and I thought, this is really odd. So it's three o'clock in the morning. I went into my study, and I typed the actor's name in Google. <laughs> came up under news, while I was dreaming that that lady died, she died. And he was just responding by giving a press release about his sadness and grief. Now, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you want to call that coincidence, please feel free to go ahead. But you've got more faith in coincidence than I have in God. So I'm sitting there thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? And I felt like God said to me, get a hold of him and tell him that I love the people that he loves. I'm thinking, you cannot be serious. I look on Facebook, he's got 10 million followers. And what kind of message is that? I love the people that you love. Where's John 3.16 in that? I then realized I knew a friend who knew that guy before he got famous and international. I sent him an email. I said, are you still in touch? He said, I'm seeing him for coffee next Friday. I said, would you pass the dream on? A week later, I get an email back. He said, I shared the dream. He was speechless. He just said, thank you. I promised I'd never follow it up, and I'll never name him publicly. But every now and again, I walk by magazines in news racks in America, and I see his face, and I think, God, what are you doing? All I know is that we are called to partner with God in his purposes. Micah Redding puts it like this. We are involved in partnership with God at every step of the way, from healing the sick and feeding the hungry through much greater works to come. We reign with Christ as he defeats all enemies, including death, 
even judging the world and raising the dead. Third thing is this. Third thing is we must have a theology of suffering alongside a theology of the supernatural. If we're going to preach about the supernatural, we've got to talk about suffering. Let me tell you about a week in the life of Timberline Church. We hear about our lovely former Muslim lady who got asylum and the dreams, and that's fabulous. And then we pray for lovely Emily, whose daughter has a thousand fits a day. And then we say goodbye to Jeremy Pippin, who led our seniors ministry in our church, a beautiful individual. You see, we celebrate the supernatural in the midst of the context of suffering. The early church are seeing signs and wonders, but they're still not spared persecution and death. I think we don't do well with suffering. Sometimes we come up with cliches and answers that are not answers. Some years ago, um, I got really ill. Um, I, uh, I was in a restaurant in London, and halfway through the meal, I got swine flu. It wasn't on the menu, but I got it. And it turned into pneumonia, which then turned into double pneumonia. And I was really ill. For about three days, my doctor thought I was going to die. So I put it on Facebook. I've got pneumonia. It's fascinating, some of the Christian responses. One person said, you're not sick. You just think you're sick. Hello, I've just thrown up. I've got evidence. Then someone said... Um, you, you must have sin in your life. Some of you have heard this stuff. You must have sin in your life. Thanks a lot. Now I'm a vomiting, naughty person. <laughs> Someone else said, it must be unbelief. You, if you, you're not believing enough. Excellent. Now I'm a vomiting, naughty, doubting person. Someone else said, your great, 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 great grandfather did something really dodgy. Fabulous. I'll dig him up and slap him. And someone else put on Facebook, Satan, we rebuke you in Jesus' name. Capital letters, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Satan, we rebuke you. On Facebook. I didn't, I didn't even know the devil was on Facebook. <laughs> you can imagine the devil sitting around in hell saying to his friends, ooh. Come on, capital letters on Facebook. Didn't see that one coming, boys. What we do is we try and fill in the blanks that God has not filled in. You know, our time has gone. This is a church of maturity. But I want to say, wherever it happened, to any here who suffered, and you bumped into well-meaning comforters of Job along the way, I'm sorry. Someone really needs to hear that because no one's ever said sorry. Because you were down and out and a well-meaning person who was trying to help you out, bless them, they didn't know that they kicked you when you were down. We've got to have a theology of suffering. Number four. Number four, signs point somewhere to a new exodus to the kingdom and to the king. You see, these signs were signs, and signs point somewhere. They pointed to Jesus and to his kingdom. In fact, there are 17 occasions in the book of Acts where supernatural happenings point to conversion and lead to conversion. Let me ask this question. What has God been doing in your journey to get your attention? If you're not a follower of Jesus today, 
And you, you, you prayed that prayer, didn't you? And then something happened and you said, oh, it's coincidence, coincidence. And you had that conversation, didn't you? And it was timely and you thought, no, coincidence. Or, or, or maybe, maybe. Maybe you were invited here today. And you didn't expect this. And you're going, And sometimes that happens because it can be cooler today to be a doubter than it can be to be a person of faith. Dallas Willard said this, We live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the sceptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can be almost as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. So I'm looking at the clock, but I need to stop just for a moment here. So, so what's God been up to? And you've maybe built a wall to say, stay back, stay behind there. And just allowing a few seconds of me stop blethering on And in the silence, allowing that recognition to maybe dawn in your heart. That this could just be the beginning of a brand new life. What about that? Well, the last thing is this. And that is that we're called to be a people who ask. We're called to be a people who ask. Request sits at the heart of prayer, says Dallas Willard. The church really asked God. They prayed. They prayed a lot. They prayed for all kinds of things. They prayed everywhere. They prayed in the temple courts. They prayed in their homes. They prayed on the streets. They quoted scripture when they prayed. They prayed with thanksgiving. But there was one prayer that they prayed that I'd like to end our time in a moment with. And that is they prayed run to daddy prayers. A few years ago, we were, quite a number of years ago, we were on holiday in America with another family. Our daughter was about 16. And they had a 16-year-old daughter. We stopped at this, in America they'd call it a greasy spoon, which is a, a cafe that's not terribly clean or pleasant or nice, maybe. And it wasn't that pleasant. But we were all hungry, so we stopped for a meal. And the, the girls went round the corner to go to the loo. And um, we didn't know it, but there was a pool table round the corner with a couple of huge hairy bikers. Like leathers, chains, tattoos, you know, like big beefy blokes. And they're playing pool. And as our 16-year-old daughters walked by, one of these chaps made a salacious comment bit rude, a bit lewd, to, to these pretty girls that they saw. And my daughter, she doesn't take to those things lightly. And she said, she said, what did you say? She said, what you don't know. She says this to these two gigantic mountainous bikers. She said, what you don't know is that our daddies are sitting just around the corner there. 
and we're going to go and tell them what you said, and they're going to come around and sort you out. <laughs> and I'm overhearing this conversation, and I begin to pray, Lord Jesus, come now. Amen. I'm going to tell my dad about you. Listen to what the early church prayed, Acts chapter 4, 29. They're being, they're being threatened. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Interestingly, they didn't say, oh God, nukem, amen. But they did pray a run to daddy prayer. God, this is happening. Please help us. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. So Ben's going to come back on the keyboard and the other band members as well. And let me explain what we are going to do. We're going to ask. We're going to ask. In a moment or two, if you would like prayer for healing, physical healing, frankly, if you would just like prayer, you can decide. In a moment, while we're singing... I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front here. And we're going to sing, um, we're going to sing King of My Heart. And I'd like to, can we start with the verse, that, let the King of My Heart. We're going, to, we're going to sing that song. Now let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front here. The prayer team are going to be here. In fact, the prayer team are going to show up right now. They're going to wander down the front here. Um, and they're going to be waiting here, and they are going to anoint each person with oil. You say, what is that about? In the book of James in the New Testament, it tells us to anoint those who are sick with oil. Listen, there's no magic in the oil. You could, you could cook your chips in it. It's just oil. But the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We anoint people with oil, and we remind ourselves that it's the power of the Holy Spirit, not our power that makes all the difference. So nothing weird, nothing strange. The prayer team are simply going to anoint you with oil and I'm going to ask you just to stay here at the front. They're not going to immediately pray for you, just anoint you. Stay here, then I'm going to pray a prayer. Collectively, we as a congregation are going to ask. We're going to ask. So would you stand with me if you're able, please? And uh, if you know that you would like to be part of this and receive prayer, I invite you just, don't, don't stand there and go, I wonder who, who else is going, shall I do this? We're family, so let's just do this. If you want to begin to make your way here, do that. And let's all of us worship the Lord together as people come. Let's do that right now. Congregation, would you just stretch out your hands if you're comfortable with this? Just stretch out your hands in blessing to these folks at the front here. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come and we are now in obedience to your word. We are coming to ask. We have anointed with oil. As members of your church, we are placing our hands upon the shoulders of people asking you to place your hand upon their lives. We ask you for physical healing. We ask you for supernatural intervention. 
we ask you for the impossible. And as we come with our asking, we pledge to you that whatever you do, we will only ever point glory and credit to you. Never to us, never to this moment, never to a person, only to Jesus, only to Jesus. We ask you to work a work. We ask you to grant faith and faithfulness. We ask you to intervene. Can you open your eyes for a moment? In a few seconds, we're gonna sing the refrain again and then Leon's gonna come back and dismiss us. Just stay at the front here, people. But you know, the, it might be that this is the moment, 12.48 on a Sunday, for some of us to make that step to become followers of Jesus. Make a commitment, to, today's the day for us. It might be that you're a long way from God and it's now time to come back. I'm going to pray a simple little prayer, no big drama. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can use if you are making that choice to say, maybe I don't understand a lot of this, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to know him for real. So if that's where you're at, you can utilize this little prayer. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Here's the prayer. Jesus, I need you. I'm not just asking you to bless me, I'm asking you to save me. Please rescue me. Please come into my life. Please take charge. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to show me how you want me to live. At this moment in my personal history, I turn my life over to you. I'm trusting you to hear my prayer. Let's keep our heads bowed. If you've just prayed that prayer because you're becoming a Christian or because you're coming back to God, can I ask you, just as our heads are bowed, would you just hold up your hand for a moment? Just hold it up and then put it down again. Thank you over there and over here as well. And there are others. Just raise that hand as a way of saying, yeah, that's what I've done. You might not be at the front. You might be in the congregation out there and you've just prayed it. Just slip up your hand so I can see it if that's what you've done. Lord, we thank you for those who have just responded, who responded earlier too. And we pray for your revelation to their hearts, that you will reveal yourself to them, each and every one. Let's sing one more time the refrain, you are good. You folks at the front, you can just stay here. The service will be dismissed in a few seconds. But let's declare all of us together, God's amazing goodness, you are good.